0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's, time it's, time it's time for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. With me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Nicholas Smith of the UK's Telegraph. It's great to be here. Tonight, we'll be discussing the government's reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Former US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo being set to arrive in Taiwan next week for a four-day visit. The Food and Drug Administration formally announcing that the government is now opening Taiwan to imports of Japanese food and agricultural products from areas affected by the 2011 Fukushima nuclear meltdown. The government deciding to discipline an Olympic speed skater for a repeated inappropriate remarks. During the recent Beijing Winter Games, animal rights activists taken to the streets of Taipei to call for lawmakers to act now to enshrine animal protection in the Constitution and news that Taiwan's gender pay gap now stands at 15.8%. But we'll begin with the government's reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, where Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh on Thursday accused Moscow of violating Ukraine's sovereignty and said the government firmly believes the ongoing tensions at the Russian-Ukraine border area are due to Moscow's unilateral decision to change the status quo. According to O, oh, the government also believes that all sides should use peaceful means to resolve their disputes and that Taiwan is willing to contribute to various de-escalation efforts. However, she did not elaborate on what those efforts might might be. And the foreign ministry spokeswoman also failed to say whether Taiwan will be joining US sanctions against Russia. That despite reports saying that Washington is currently in talks with Taipei, Tokyo and Singapore regarding restrictive export controls. Oh did say though that Taiwan will be working closely with like-minded countries to come up with an appropriate measure to help jointly maintain regional peace. Now those statements came after President Tsai ing on Wednesday issued a four-point directive following briefings on the latest situation in crane then with the National Security Council. Tsai said Taiwan is willing to contribute to various de-escalation efforts but again she didn't say what those efforts might be. The president ordered national security agencies and the armed forces to step up the monitoring of the cross-strait situation and be ready to respond to all situations surrounding Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific region. She warned government agencies to be on alert to prevent and counter any misinformation by overseas forces and their local partners that could attempt to use the situation in new Ukraine to sway public opinion here in Taiwan. and That warning came after national security officials have been saying that China could seek to use the situation on the Russia-Ukraine border to promote its Taiwan unification policies. And the president also called on the government agencies to closely monitor international finance and trade due to concerns that a conflict in Ukraine could affect domestic energy and food supplies and also have a rather negative effect on the local stock market. Now, economic experts this week are warning that Taiwan could see a spike in imports prices due to raising tensions and an invasion of the Ukraine by Russia and if the West escalates the situation. Now, according to the president of the Institute of Economic Research, a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine would drive up the price of bulk agricultural goods such as wheat and corn, as Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's major suppliers of those goods. But Agriculture Minister Chen chi said that his office has now secured sufficient wheat and corn supplies from February through August to keep prices stable. Meanwhile, analysts also saying they believe moves by the government to restrict the export of strategic goods to Russia is unlikely to have any substantial impact on the island's semiconductor sector. Now, according to the Institute of Economic Research again, such restrictions would not have a massive impact on local semiconductor manufacturers as most of their orders come from the United States, Europe, Japan and South Korea. So, Brian, I mean, the government reacting the way it could, obviously putting the military on alert and the national security agencies on high alert due to concerns about China.
0: Yeah, that's right. There is a lot of discussion, for example, regarding uh, the invasion of Ukraine and the invasion of Taiwan, with some raising the possibility that China would use the opportunity to attack Taiwan. That is unlikely. Uh, this would be telegraphed in advance to people see troop movements. But I think global discourse often has a way of talking about these fears. I think particularly for the Tsai administration, it also needs to allay these fears among the general public. And so if there was a attempt at an invasion, you would see troops building up in advance. Uh, it would take more than a month, for example. Even Putin in Russia would have to build up troops for over a month before conducting an invasion, but this comes up in in domestic political discourse. And so then... Their moves to minimize the economic impact on Taiwan, while also using this as an opportunity in some sense to secure uh, stronger relations with countries that are now taking action against Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, and so I think this is perhaps where the Thai administration is positioning itself.
2: Yeah, I do think at the moment Taiwan has just um, added its voice to the mood music of condemnation of what's happening, but Taiwan could does have the chance here to use this crisis as. Uh, as an opportunity to demonstrate its its own value as a partner of the United States joining um coalition of democracies um, in acting against what Russia is doing in Ukraine. Um, and really setting itself apart from China and its position um, as a global hub of semiconductor manufacturing and its dominance of the global supply chain really does give it a chance to do something more than than just a token gesture um, and to join meaningful sanctions against Russia. And it, it certainly looks like um, moves are afoot to to join some kind of um, combined effort to do this um, Uh, Mofa, as you said, haven't explicitly um, signalled what they're going to do. But I I did see in the FT today that there was a a Taiwanese official who, speaking about export controls, said that we have, to quote, we have put together an inventory of potential products that might be relevant in the context of export controls, including military and dual-use products, basic infrastructure, tech and strategic supplies. So it looks like Taiwan is definitely having some very substantive um conversations with allies Um, and it's certainly in taiwan's own interests as well to to um to make this a very um to make this hurt for russia because you know as as brian said people are looking at china and the the situation that, that taiwan faces the threats that taiwan faces from china and how this whole crisis in ukraine could impact that and um Beijing will certainly be watching to see what the response is going to be from the West and its allies, including Taiwan. Um, And a sign of weakness could embolden um, future moves by China.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And so it's interesting because China, too, has joined the chorus of voices condemning uh, Russia's actions. But then there's also discussion of potential Russia-China alignment. And so in this sense, I think in the broader geopolitical framework of the world, uh, the Ukraine crisis does potentially stand to impact Taiwan. And I think China will be evaluating then in terms of how Taiwan fits into coalition moves regarding Russia to evaluate Taiwan's position relative to uh, potential allies such as the US, Japan, etc., but also Singapore. And I think that that kind of cementing of semiconductor uh, relations is quite interesting then, if that is the main means by which Taiwan takes action regarding Russia. Um, But then I think that also leads to questions about... Just how China will frame, for example, its claims over Taiwan going forward. Uh, you've seen some attempts by Chinese state-run media or state-run tabloid, Global Times, rather, to frame China uh, Taiwan as being something like Donetsk and Luhansk, the breakaway uh, parts of the Ukraine. And so that that is kind of interesting framing because then it doesn't it doesn't work out really if the framing is then that China is similar to Ukraine. However. I think there's much more discussion of what recognition means on the table currently in the world and because of the ukraine crisis i think that that's also interesting in terms of global discourse and how taiwan is understood going forward
1: and it was brian beijing even came out and said they cannot be likened taiwan and the ukraine
0: yeah it's funny because uh, the Taiwan mission has said the same thing that they cannot be compared but then it will also say well as like-minded democracies or people that understand uh, these issues then there is actually a parallel and so i think both sides are kind of saying there's comparisons but also that there's no comparisons
1: and Nicola, what about Taiwan's imports from Russia? Most of it is actually natural gas. I believe it's something like ten percent of Taiwan's total natural gas imports are from Russia. Do you see this causing a problem in Taiwan?
2: Well, I do think Taiwan has a problem with energy um, overall, and this is certainly a, a, a chance to, for Taiwan to reevaluate how it gets its energy. Um, and who it's dependent on because this is, this is a huge strategic problem for Taiwan and one that it's going to have to face uh, in the very near future. Um, so i don 't foresee immediate problems with with Russian gas, but it certainly is part of um, taiwan 's overall um, defense strategy. It has to start thinking about um, how to become more self sufficient um, in terms of energy because you know if the lights go out that 's going to be one of um, that 's going to be a major factor um, to really undermine uh, the public's confidence um, and and to undermine Taiwan's own ability to defend itself. And I do think that even though we we, we keep talking about how China is watching this situation uh, very carefully, um, you know, to, to 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 plan out its 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 own game plan. Um, Taiwan also needs to be looking at this crisis very closely, not only in terms of um, how it's going to defend itself. What um, what uh, defence capabilities to invest in, how to secure its energy supplies better, but also how to prepare the public. Um, And I was very struck by um, the images yesterday from uh, major cities in Ukraine where where, um, the public, families, old people, kids, students, uh, professionals, they were all huddled um, in metro systems uh, saying we, we just didn't think this was going to happen. And, you know, even though an invasion of Taiwan is not imminent by China, it's, it's something that that um, the U.S. that Taiwan's own defense uh, officials are talking about as a as a distinct possibility within just a few years. So I do think that the the, the government needs to put in a lot more preparation um, or time and effort to prepare the public to the possibility of the worst case scenario. What do you do if bombs start falling? How do you Um, survive? How do you set up local community structures to get basic supplies like food, water, medical supplies, you know, start to train people more in um, first aid and how to deal with catastrophic injuries when the hospitals are not working. Um, And I do think that that this um, crisis offers Taiwan an opportunity to really regroup itself and and, and kind of um, put together some kind of uh, coherent plan as to how they would deal with, with a similar scenario.
1: Of course Brian, apparently there's thirty three Taiwanese nationals in Ukraine, some I believe ten of them are students. And there's talk of the government ministry of foreign affairs now is scrambling to try to get them out of course it can't be by air it must be by land but of course taiwan doesn't have a rep office in ukraine so these poor people in ukraine have to either deal with moscow or poland
0: and that's right and this, this has come up in the news a few times what the taiwanese in ukraine are doing and a lot of reports were that they were not particularly panicked in the beginning that they thought things would be okay but now things are turning south um, and so that's a question. I think it's always a, a challenge for MOFA to try to extricate Taiwan, uh, Taiwanese abroad from disaster situations or, in this case, war. Uh, and so I think that that's a question. I think this will be another thing that, for example, if something bad were to happen to these 33 Taiwanese or some of them, uh, it become a political talking point in domestic Taiwanese politics. And so the Taiwan station would want to avoid that. And so I think there will be reassurances that measures are being taken to, to assure their safety.
1: Of course, they don't have a very good track. Because of, in Japan, when there was the incident in japan some years ago brian
0: mm, that's right and so that was used as a, a, a critique of the Thai administration that it did not do enough for taiwanese nationals in japan after an earthquake if i recall correctly and so eventually that led to a su- the suicide of a diplomat and the belief that this incident may have been used for disinformation purposes and so i think this could eventually become an incident down the line if there is something that bad that happens
1: because China could say, we can help get your citizens out.
0: That would also happen. Uh, that, might, that would be uh, quite interesting. I think China particularly likes to fill in the gaps in that in respect to try to paint the uh, Thai administration as weak and unable to do things abroad.
1: Moving on now, and we'll state well, not really weak, not a weak man who's coming to Taiwan next week, because apparently former US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will be landing in Taiwan next Wednesday for a four-day visit. Now, according to the Foreign Ministry, Pompeo is scheduled to hold talks with President Tsai Ing-wen during his trip, and the Ministry is also saying that Pompeo will be travelling his, with his wife, and they'll also be meeting with Vice President William Lai and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, and apparently several banquets have been organised, and they'll be hosted by the Pompeo's. Now, the former U.S. Secretary of State has been invited to give a speech at the government-affiliated Prospect Foundation. And, of course, Pompeo did express his wishes to visit Taiwan during an interview in March of last year. So, Brian, Mike Pompeo's coming. An auspicious time, good timing, bad timing. Maybe you should delay it for a bit.
0: I think it's uh, maybe perhaps inconvenient timing because of the Ukraine crisis. And so there's the possibility that Popeyeo in Taiwan will say something a little politically inconvenient for Tsai where relations with the Biden administration are concerned. I think what's interesting is that U.S. elections are are coming up and so there's a potential that's been raised of Trump trying to run for re-election. And so Tsai will try to strike a balance if that potentially happens and then she doesn't want to alienate uh, the Trump administration former officials in that sense. But then she also does have to maintain relations with the current Biden administration. And so just not too long ago for example, Trump said in an interview uh, that after Ukraine, Taiwan is next. And one wonders then if there'll be a similar rhetoric from Pompeo. I mean, this could potentially undercut what Tsai herself is saying, that things are safe, things are stable. If he does say something similarly inflammatory, that, well, Taiwan is next.
2: I mean, I I don't think there's really any good time for anyone to come. You know, <laughs> the, the world's in permanent state of crisis. Um, yes, there is a there is a risk that he could say something inconvenient, but at the same time, I I think there's a, also a lot of benefit um, to such a high profile um, US, former U.S. official coming here. Um, I, I do think that it it um normalize it's, it's helping to normalize um the idea of high high ranking officials coming to Taiwan. Um and I think it's good for Taiwan's profile. Um regardless what you know you think of Pompeo and his views, that he does have a lot of support in Taiwan and, and there was um when he was Secretary of State he he did um do some very positive things for Taiwan um shortly before he left office. Um he lifted the restrictions on uh, meetings between U.S. and Taiwanese uh, diplomats, which the Biden administration has continued and was kind of widely welcomed. He also, um, his uh, under his administration, the, uh, the U.S. pushed ahead with a lot of arms sales. So I, I think that um, there's a lot of appreciation for him in Taiwan. And as Brian said, I, the Tsai administration can't pick sides here. They can't. Um, you know, they have to uh, forge strong ties with both the Republicans and the Democrats. And, and Pompeo's, it's early days yet, but Pompeo's name has been touted as, you know, someone who might run for a future president. So I do think that the Taiwan the administration or any administration in Taiwan has to, to keep up relations with both sides.
1: And of course, Brian, obviously... Pompeo, Republican, Biden, Democrat. The Biden administration is now in the White House. I think possibly people in the current White House might be a bit peeved that Pompeo is coming.
0: I think that might happen, uh, particularly because it's the Trump administration. However, in terms of the elected officials that have visited Taiwan, it has been bipartisan that one has seen heavily Republican delegations, but also Democrats mixed in periodically or more Democratic delegations. It really depends on when. And so I think particularly then the Tsai administration is trying to strike a balance of not favoring both sides. But historically speaking, uh, the Tsai administration or the pan-green camp has viewed Republicans as more favorable to it. And so I think that there, that is also another factor. It is quite interesting when the Tsai administration comes up with regards to the Trump administration or, or former Trump administration officials, then. For example, there was recently a story about Taiwan funding lobbying by Guatemala through a uh, influential Trump administration uh, uh, lobbyist during that period. And so that kind of story was interesting. I mean, there's still these ties that exist. And they don't, always, I think, as somebody, they come up in a way that's used to sort of uh, critique the Tsai nation almost. That comes up in international media, but just uh, it's a question. And
1: Nicola, do you think possibly the Biden administration might not be happy that he's coming?
2: I mean, I think it depends how the visit goes. I think it depends, um, you know, what he says, how high profile it is, um, whether there's any controversy that comes out of it or anything that they would um, perceive to be um, not very constructive in the current climate. Um, I mean, otherwise, I, I, I think generally... Um, it's good for Taiwan to, to have a show of support from high prof- profile um, politicians. Um, and we have seen an uptick of delegations coming from around the world. And, and I, I think this you know, Pompeo's visit just really fits into to that whole um, pattern.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And so I think uh, it's a question then if this leads to other visits, I mean, this could involve, for example, other former Trump administration officials, um, or in general, just influential voices on American policy that may not currently be in the Biden administration.
1: I think the Biden administration might sort of send some former Obama administration officials to visit just to level the playing field.
0: No, that's a question. I mean, I think that sometimes that raises hackles because I think the Obama administration is viewed as perhaps being too easy on China in, uh, in Taiwan sometimes.
2: I think there's also a question as well of whether you know Pompeo comes here to um, promote his own political agenda mm. um, and his own uh, future ambitions for a higher office, um, and that was certainly an accusation that, that um, the Trump administration faced um, when they were talking tough on on Taiwan um, and China, and people very worried that they were they were pushing their own agenda. Um, and that could be the case when Pompeo comes, but we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Yes, we'll have to wait and see what he says. Anyway, the Food and Drug Administration on Monday of this week announced the government is now opening Taiwan to imports of Japanese food and agricultural products from areas affected by the 2011 Fukushima nuclear meltdown. The statement comes after the Cabinet announced in early February that it plans to lift the 10-year ban by the end of this month. However, the FDA is saying although the ban has now been lifted, restrictions on some products will remain in place, and And the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Health rather, not the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Health there, is also reiterating its commitment to safeguarding public health and it's stressing that the government will be adopting stricter food safety standards and measures than those seen in some other countries. Those measures include batch by batch border inspections as well as the attachment of certification of origin and radiation inspection certificates and the banning of the import of certain items. So Brian there, stricter, stricter food safety standards and measures ever seen in other countries.
0: Yeah, so I think the Taiwanese government will try to reassure regarding this, because this is a political risk for Tsai, similar to lifting the uh, ban on ractopamine pork from the U.S., for example. And this is aimed at cementing stronger economic relations with Japan that would potentially lead to stronger political relations, that increases the incentive for Japan to come to Taiwan's defense in the event of a Chinese invasion. Uh, But then the KMT will attack this, uh, particularly pointing to the 2018 referendum, as it has already done so, uh, claiming it is undemocratic that the Tsai administration is again playing uh, games with the food safety of Taiwanese. And so I think the time decision, although it will try to reassure through uh, saying that it is conducting batch inspections, if there is enough backlash, I think there could even be something like a labeling system similar to the uh, labeling system for U.S. pork that you see in almost every restaurant now, actually. Um, But then then I think for uh, the Pan Blue camp, that will never be enough. And I think that then the time is a question whether that will be used as a talking point to attack the uh, Pan Green camp and the DPP going to the next set of elections.
2: I, I think here the Tsai administration is taking the larger view. They're looking at the bigger picture. Um, this this um, decision has been linked to Taiwan's desire to join the CPTPP uh, free trade agreement, uh, which Japan has a lot of influence over, and Japan has a lot of influence over whether. Um, taiwan can can join that agreement, um, and that would definitely be very much in taiwan 's interest to do so um both economically and in terms of um, raising its profile on the international stage and and you know kind of really forging its its own identity internationally and and joining another um, trade body as taiwan um, so that would be huge that would be of huge strategic importance and and it it looks like the Tsai administration has decided that um, um this is uh this would benefit taiwan much more than than keeping this ban um on these particular items food items and it certainly doesn't look like they've they've taken this lightly um, there if you look at the details of what they've said they, they have said that the ban will be adjusted based on risks that you know food products will be clearly labeled that you know there's still a ban on certain things like mushrooms and wild animal meat so it's not like you know, they're, all, they're throwing all cares to the wind and not taking any precautions but um, you know I, I think politically sometimes you just have to um, uh, take you have to take political risks and you have to take hard decisions if, if you want to move forward. And Brian, what about public opinion? Because of course the
1: health ministry this week released some data. And of course, it gives two weeks from when the government said it's going to open it to when they mm. o- opens it. And apparently the health ministry received a massive total of 36 public opinions in that whole two weeks about it. So it doesn't sound by 36 opinions sent to the Ministry of Health about this that the public really cares much about it.
0: Yeah, so that is actually a little surprising to me because of the fact that this was the uh, object of a referendum not too long ago. And so the public does seem to be not as concerned about this as present, which is why the time estimation is making this into uh, making this move at present. I mean, it's interesting too because the nuclear issue does continue to come up. It's the KMT that's historically the pro-nuclear party and the DPP that is more opposed. But then on this issue it's the KMT that is opposed to food imports from Fukushima saying it's unsafe. And this has come up uh, with regards to other uh, summing blocks to Taiwan-Japan relations as well. For example, regarding the discharge of nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima incident into the sea. And that's been criticized, for example. Um, and so it's not the, the only kind of issue regarding that. But I think that particularly because it does seem like the public, particularly after the results of the referendum that took place not too long ago, uh, just in uh, December, that it seems like the time machine is a strong position to actually move forward with such moves. And I think so it is, it is taking this risk at present.
1: Of course, Nicola, the public have the right to say they don't want to buy it or they want to buy it.
2: Exactly, I mean you know the the government has said that they will clearly label the food products um and from uh, fukushima um and they will also um put them through very strict controls so again, it comes down to consumer choices like with the rect- rectopamine pork as well, people can decide not to buy these products if if they don't want to, so really i I, I think we don't need to uh, we don't need any nanny state, um, you know, actions here. I think people just have to decide for themselves and for their families what they want to do. And we have to
1: take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week. And Education Minister Pan Wen-Jong on Monday announced that the government has decided to discipline Olympic speed skater Huang Yu-Ting for her what the government is calling her repeated inappropriate remarks during the recent Beijing Winter Games. Now, according to the Education Minister, athletes who represent Taiwan overseas receive subsidies from the taxpayer and as such need to understand they're representing the country and should act in accordance with public expectations. Huang, of course, first sparked controversy prior to the Winter Olympics when she posted a photograph of herself on social media wearing a Chinese national team skin suit. Huang removed that post and apologised, though, after the sports administration criticised her for failing to understand cross-strait politics. However, after finishing the women's 1500 metre race, Huang was quoted by the Beijing Daily as saying that she felt as if she was competing on home turf. Oh dear, that was a bit of a no-no. Anyway, she then took to Facebook late last week to invite all haters, internet trolls, to leave messages. Well, needless to say, they did, because that post drew a complete wave of online attacks and Huang was forced to close the page down. Now, Premier Su Ching-chung this past weekend also calls for an investigation into Huang's behaviour, and the Sports Administration is now slated to be holding talks with members of Taiwan's Olympic Committee and the Skating Association in the coming weeks to discuss how Huang should be punished. The KMT, meanwhile, is accusing the government of overreacting to Huang's actions and comments, but civic groups are now calling on the Control UN to begin its own investigation into the sports administration itself and as to whether the government was negligent in its initial handing of the controversies surrounding Huang.
0: Yeah, and so I think this is a bit of a flip-flop because in the beginning the government said that, well, she's entitled to her political views, we are uh, free a free country, etc. And now because of there's this demand and this anger from the public, there is action being taken now. And so I think it's going back a little on that. Uh, I think it's it's just one of these issues that goes back to that there's an entire spectrum of politics in Taiwan, where there are people that identify with China or pro-unification, etc. And so the question then is, what are the political views of athletes and does the government regulate that? And so Huang coming out of controversy for wearing a skin suit from a Chinese athlete that was gifted to her, uh, et cetera. That that provokes anger, I think particularly uh, given the fact that it's already a sensitive issue uh, that Taiwan is not represented as Taiwan in the Olympics, but as Chinese Taipei uh, because of Chinese pressure, etc. And then in events where Taiwan is competing with China or interacts with Chinese athletes uh, occur, that also creates further controversy. And so I think there is some way in which the uh, sports mission could have been more conscious of these potential PR issues. I'm not too sure Huang herself helps that necessarily when she is posting things like Taylor Swift lyrics that goes, haters gonna hate, 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 or inviting haters to comment on her uh, social media that just invites further backlash, I think uh, yeah, there could at least be some PR training for athletes where you just say, well, in these kind of cases, maybe you just lay quiet for a while. Um, but then it raises these questions about, I think, political views in Taiwan and that there are people that identify with China.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that... Well, first of all, I think that Huang should have read the room. And, you know, <laughs> her comments, especially after the first controversy blew up over, over the Chinese uniform that she'd been training in, um, I, I think her comments were unnecessarily provocative, um, kind of immature, insensitive, and naive. I mean, I think, you know, she she put herself in the position where she could be used as Chinese as, as CCP propaganda. Um, but uh the the idea of punishing an athlete for their political views um i, I i'm deeply uncomfortable with and it, it, you know well first of all i'd be interested to know what sanctions are they talking about what kind of punishment um and and that's not that's not clear yet the the premier premier sue has already um called her comments deeply inappropriate um and she has been strongly criticized um and i think it would set a very bad precedent if um, funding for athletes starts to depend on their political views. I mean, then, you know, are people going to be vetted for their views before they can go to the Olympics? Or or should funding be linked to actual athletic talent? Because Taiwan's really kind of putting itself, setting itself um, up for accusations of censorship, um, and there's a real freedom of speech question here. Taiwan's a democracy. It wants to set itself apart from China. When you start to punish athletes for not having the right political views, then you you do open yourself up to charges of hypocrisy. Um, so I think they have to be very careful in how they proceed with this. And, you know, at the end of the day, Wang um, has... She's, already, she's basically damaging her own reputation, um, you know, her own brand. What she's said uh, on social media has been deeply unpopular with the public. And that in itself brings consequences um, you know, in terms of, of how her career moves forward in terms of, of her own branding.
1: But I think she called their bluff there because she said she's going to retire after the Olympics, Brian. But of course, do you think possibly the sports administration was a bit negligent in the way that it didn't actually explain? Look, when you're there, just keep shtum, smile (laughs) for the cameras and that's it.
0: Yeah, I think that's this is interesting, too, because it touches on these issues regarding Pan Blue versus Pan Green views in government, because the sports administration is criticized as being more pro-KMT, uh, that there are former KMT officials appointed to the sports administration during the authoritarian period as a kind of reward for political loyalty, and they just stay there, and they use their position to shut out certain athletes that, uh, for example, call for reform in, in sporting uh, bodies in Taiwan, or for their political views, or because they don't uh, necessarily listen to uh, what the sports administration officials want them to do. And so this involves even, uh, for example, reports that athletes have been coerced into sleeping with sports administration officials. And so there have been calls from uh, young athletes, but in particular, for reforming of these bodies in for a while. But then with the Thai administration, that also raises the concerns. Is there this issue of political views in what should be supposedly objective or neutral political bodies? I think that that's still an issue. Uh, but then in a sense i think that it's also then a, a, a issue because just there's a lot of taiwanese entertainers that express similar views and they're working in the chinese market and so what happens then do you also take action against these entertainers i think particularly for athletes then that have a brand and are seen as representing taiwan on in the international stage it hurts for some people that they have these views uh, but i think it fits into this kind of broader uh, pattern of of taiwanese in china sometimes making appeals to the chinese market because that is the larger market and so saying these things about taiwan or these views about taiwan that does occur because i think just uh, it's a it's a political calculation, but also it is some people's political views actually.
1: And animal rights activists took to the streets of Taipei this past Sunday, despite some rather low temperatures and heavy rain here, as they called for the government to speed up the, speed up the movement towards enshrining animal protection in the island's constitution. Now, according to the Taiwan Animal Protection Monitor Network, political parties have all expressed support for the issue and submitted proposals. But the issue has yet to have been approved by the Constitutional Amendment Committee in the Legislative UN. And the group says that representatives from animal rights groups are planning to meet with lawmakers in the coming weeks to urge them to take immediate action so the amendment can be put to the vote alongside local government elections in november and of course members of the dpp the kmt the new power party and the taiwan's people party have also pledged to support the move now the issue has been added to the list of proposed amendments to the constitution but debate of those constitutional amendments brian in the UN, has been rather slow going
0: Yeah, that's right. And so this is one of these issues in which the Pan Blue and the Pan Green camps have accused each other of stalling on the issue. For example, the DPP has criticized the KMT for not allowing for any uh, constitutional changes, just refusing outright to discuss or or allow this move forward in any form. However, at the same time, this is one of these rare political issues in which there's apparently bipartisan support, in which all major political parties agree that they support having uh, animal rights in stride in the Constitution. And so there was a lot of talk in this respect, but I think as with anything that's actually bipartisan in Taiwan, sometimes it's easier just to make the appearance of things. And, And politicians, if it does not threaten their ability to win votes, they might not necessarily take action on this because they don't want to cooperate with the other political camp, and then with regards to the issue of uh, constitutional amendments, that would still have to be put to the public vote, and so there are, there are still hurdles regarding this. Uh, the uh, time, history officials have said that there's a, it is possible to do this within this year, uh, but even that would be kind of an unexpected timeline. I think it's it's still something that is it would face obstacles. But this is like cute cats and dogs, Nicola.
2: Well, I mean it's more than just cute cats and dogs. You know, it's all animals. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I. I, I My my own understanding of this is that um, it has a better chance of passing because Tsai is in her um, second uh, term and, and uh, might be more willing to to take a risk of a constitutional amendment, but I also do think that this is something that we'd find widespread support in the public. I mean, Taiwan is um, certainly when it comes to domestic pets, Taiwan is a nation of of um, <laughs> animal lovers. And you know, I was just writing a story this week about about the birth rate falling, and you know, in twenty twenty, there were statistics showing that people had more um, domestic pets than than babies. So I certainly think you'll find a lot of um, public support in a referendum for more rights for animals. And, I, you know, the, the good thing about this debate as well is that it's, it's kind of um, giving more publicity to animal rights in Taiwan, which uh, is an important issue that doesn't always get enough airtime, I think.
1: So, Brian, it should be an issue everyone should simply agree on.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually there are some issues in which it become uh, issue of contention for example regarding uh, traditional religious ceremonies or indigenous culture uh, for example regarding hunting that might be an issue or uh, for example, the haka uh, pigs, that they, they kind of feed a lot of food and, and are used for religious ceremonies. So that might become debated. But I think in terms of the constitutional amendment, the way it's being framed is that it creates a larger framework for future discussion of what these specific laws would be. And so I think if it's termed that way, there might be less opposition. But I do think that actually, if it were put to the vote, there'd be some more discussion of what this could potentially mean for various groups and, and how they relate to animals in Taiwan. But who would oppose that? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think it depends on the uh, phrasing of the uh, what, what those changes would be, specifically, once that once that is more clear.
1: Because, of course, those referendum questions can be a bit iffy.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think, in general, just there's some confusion about uh, constitutional changes, because not everyone's a lawyer, etc. And so then, uh, sometimes there's also a reversal of public opinion, because of fears about what the effects could be. And so that could potentially occur. Um, but I do think that, in general, there's broad support for animal rights. Uh, I think it also does depend on framing that, that for example, animal rights groups. If, if uh, for example, they're viewed as just, well, you know, we can't eat animals after this amendment. If that kind of discourse starts circulating, there might be more backlash. And I think also then it, it is possible then that down the line, if it were actually put to a vote, it would become an object of contention between the Pan Blue and the Pan Green camps, that they would find find something to fight about it, even as they are currently expressing agreement on this.
1: And before we go this week, the Ministry of Labour released data showing that the island's gender pay gap has risen to 15.8%. Figures show that the hourly pay of male wage earners here in Taiwan last year averaged 361 NT, while that of female workers stood at 304 NT. Now the release of the figures comes as the Ministry announced that this coming Sunday will be equal pay Day for 2022. Now according to officials, that date was set as the 15.8% difference means that women must work 58 days more to catch up with men in terms of annual earnings and february the 27th is the 58th day of the year now the labor ministry is saying that the difference in men and women's hourly pay fell from 14.9 percent in 2019 to 14.8 percent in 2020 before jumping to 15.8 percent in 2021 and it's attributing the increase to a larger hourly pay increase of 4.6 percent received by men last year compared with 3.3 percent for women so nicola the gender pay gap is expanding
2: Yes. Yeah. 2022. And we're still in this position, aren't we? Um, yeah. I mean, in, in Taiwan's defense, it's not as bad as Japan, which was 30.7 uh, percent. Our South Korea, which is 30.4 percent. And it's also lower than the US, which is 16.9 percent. And the global average, 23 percent. I was looking it up and, and fuming. But... Um, you know it's still of course it still needs to do better everyone still needs to do better um and I, I think one of the things that that would help would be um that we need more wage transparency i think we need to to um know more about what people are being paid um and I think that would that would really help women to see on a day to day level how they are being uh valued and paid much less than men um and that would really kind of um push some it would it would create some momentum even more momentum for change when the figures are very stark in front of you um my understanding of the situation in the u k where where the gender pay gap is currently about fifteen point four percent which is roughly the same as as Taiwan um, is that generally when when men and women start out in the workforce um, they do have some sense of equality and that 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 gap then expands um, the the more experienced they become and and the older they become and, and progress through their their career and that's partly to do with um the burden of childcare being on women so employer employers certainly need to do a lot more to make it easier for women to enter and um, in, re-enter the workforce after they've had children and and also to be able to balance um for both parents to be able to balance family life and, and work life. And I, I think there's a lot of entrenched attitudes that, that still need to be overcome. Um, very often, uh, I think um, employers will assume that women who are married um, don't need to be paid as much. Um, And that's certainly changing. Um, I know that, you know, bigger companies definitely have um, a lot more incentives and they're a lot more aware of equality in the workplace and they have, um, you know, very sophisticated um, plans to overcome this this pay gap. But it needs to filter down um, through all of society.
1: So, Brian, obviously, the business culture here at the lower level, the more local level rather than the international corporate level, is somewhat stymied, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think opportunities for advancement for women are often uh, stopped at a certain point. And so I think particularly in companies, women are pushed into certain roles that are often reflective of gender bias. I mean, for example, pouring tea at business meetings or, or making copies and that sort of thing. And so I think that's a, that's a difficult thing to change about Taiwan's business culture. But then I think regarding these larger socioeconomic conditions, there's actually not as much discussion of this. Uh, this is continuous that the uh, day in which women finally make reach the kind of whatever equality it's always as men it's always around this time of year and again it, it shifts maybe a few days every year but that just reflects that it's not changed and so this occurs despite Taiwan having comparatively high representation of women in elected office and so I think it's it's one of these uh, issues then that pushing for change is still easier said than done and, and despite this being the case and so I think that just there needs to be much more public discussion of this and discussing wages in general there's still not a lot of discussion of these issues of inequality or uh, how to push for more wages I think being just pushing for minimum wage. Is there's already a lot of pushback. And so then when one, one goes a further step and points these inequalities within that discourse, that is a, another kind of challenge.
1: And of course, wage transparency here, Brian. This is not a place where people talk about how much they
0: earn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's true of Taiwan and other, a lot of places in the world. But I think that's that also just uh, is another obstacle to actually knowing more about these economic conditions that people are facing.
2: I think that's just generally a, a problem everywhere. I mean, if you look at job adverts, it's very rare that they will that they will post a salary range. And I think, you know, if, if you're working in a company, do you know what the person next to you is being paid? Um, and I think if there was more transparency about that, then women would become more demanding. I, I think, you know, it is a bit of a stereotype Type, but I, I think it's partly true that women are less likely to ask for a pay rise. They, they, they have a lot more, um, generally speaking, imposter syndrome where they think, oh, well, you know, do I really deserve this? Where I, I don't think men in general have um, that same reluctance to do so. And, and I, I do think if you had those figures in front of you, um, you would realize, you know, you would have more awareness of your market worth and um, you'd want to push for that more.
1: Do so you think government should maybe step in here, Brian? Obviously, yeah. President Tsai means a woman.
0: Yeah, there's that. But I think it's also interesting, too, that there's political pushback against this. I mean, there's still an entire camp of people that can't believe a woman got a PhD and are alleging that size of a fake PhD out there. So there's that, that issue, I think, that these, these groups in, in social discourse. Maybe there should be a referendum. Well, yeah, that'd be one way of uh, trying to address this issue.
1: Anyway, that's all We'll leave it here this week On Taiwan This Week And I've been joined In the studio today By Brian Hugh, Good night And Nicola Smith Thanks for having me Thanks for tuning in To this week's edition Of Taiwan This Week Here on ICRT With me Gavin Phipps And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week Podcast On your favourite podcast app Where you can get access To all our previous
0: shows